Welcome to this osteopathic life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 14 of season one of This Osteopathic Life. I had the first lapse in recordings in the same week that I was finally, on my fifth attempt, approved as an iTunes podcast. And what a funny happenstance that it took all this time to get approved and I was staying on my game and keeping up with the weekly plans. And then the week I finally was approved, I couldn't keep up with it. So perhaps I'll count the victory of getting approved for iTunes as a win and take the respite from the universe of a one-week pause and accept that it's okay, that it doesn't have to be perfect or exact, and that getting it done most every week is acceptable at this point, and give myself some grace and also surrender a bit to the mayhem of May. And I was looking back, I wrote a blog entry on this at the end of May last year, and it rings so true. And some of it is the hubbub of the season. Just naturally, end of the school year, spring is in the air, the Twitter-patedness for those Bambi fans out there of it all. In our family, it ramps up with birthdays of our oldest two children and of many folks in our family as well, aunts and cousins and anniversaries pop up and it's just a busy time of year and some things have to get let go and I'm learning to balance that and it's always so fascinating to me how much our children reflect our own challenges and for me that's happened a lot in this past week uh, with my oldest or biggest as he's referred in my blog entries And the concept of homework. And full disclosure here, I was always terrible at homework. I could mostly get it done in class. And I had many other things going on, music and sports and socialization. And I just wasn't one who would sit down and carve out the time. I was the one who'd wake up early, calculate exactly how many minutes I would need to wake up before school to write the paper, to make the presentation, And like anything, it would always catch you out on the projects where you couldn't get away with expeditiousness, you know, where you had to do the drawing or do the formatting or just take the time and create the poster board. And it was always a struggle for me. And I remember organic chemistry kind of caught me out because of the lab reports. And again, those were things you couldn't compress. You couldn't get away with 
being faster or smarter or more efficient, you had to take the time, excuse me, and go through all the steps of the lab and record them and come back and recheck. And it was time intensive and it definitely pulled the rug out from under my practices um, up until that point in my academic career. And kind of like with this podcast, I reflected on that, you know, why couldn't I get up as early as I had planned and fit it in. And the things to which I gave way over the weekend were celebration of birthday for my oldest son and a dozen years of his life. And that was a worthy sacrifice and carving out family time, anticipating that I'll be away from my crew in the upcoming week. And I get it and I totally relate to my oldest. And at the same time, I think like most parents, you want your kids to do better than you did, to learn from the lessons and the hardships you had and not clear the path for them necessarily, but just encourage them, you know, from experience, perhaps some better ways to do things. And certainly for the most part, they're going to have to learn by trial and error. And I've never been a parent to really intervene or interfere or help much with homework. Certainly, if there's a question, you know, help problem solve and work through. And, you know, if there are supplies that are needed, get those. And um, But for the most part, I fully support the kids doing their own work. It's been challenging for me, as we now have been emailed as parents, these homework due dates and deadlines. And if you've ever been a leader or an administrator of something, perhaps one of the hardest things is to relinquish that control when you still have the responsibility. And so it feels to me like I have this responsibility. I see the deadline. It's been shown to me to help advocate for that. But I really don't have control over how or when my son does his homework. And certainly we can restrict privileges. You can't do this until X is done. But my altruistic hope is that he wants to do the work because the work is important to him. He wants to do a good job because doing well is important to him intrinsically, not for any external drivers. And that might be unrealistic and it might not be practical. That's the line I'm still trying to hold. So providing reminders of the due dates and Asking, does he have the skills, the supplies, the space, the time that he needs to get this work done? And if not, what he's doing to accommodate that? Does he need to carve out time during the school day? They have some study hall opportunities, which would be the space and the time and the supplies piece, because all supplies are readily available at school. Does he need to get up earlier? You know, does his best work happen earlier or stop play sooner and carve out time in the evening? Or do we need to uphold stringent boundaries of the privilege of sports and extracurriculars and time with friends until work is done? And I do want there to be active engagement and acknowledgement and participation and suggestion involved in this. Again, so he's building habits that will serve him for life, not just when he's under our acute guidance. And we keep having this discussion, and I'm sure it will continue to evolve, but it's a process. 
And part of me struggles with the concept of volume of homework when I think how much time is spent, you know, in the percentage of the week at school, in school. But I do appreciate that at their current school, much of the time is spent in very dynamic, hands-on, experiential learning. And so if that means some of the paperwork, math problems or writing or drawing or reading do need to take place outside the school hours, I can rationalize that. Um, If it's an extension of further work, it becomes, to me, to be too much. But at this point, he's agreed that it's appropriate volumes of work that he has the skills to do it and needs to work on those other three. And what does this have to do with this osteopathic life and the concept I'm hoping to address today? And to me, it's about that balance of body, mind, and spirit. And in looking at my rejections from iTunes one and two and three and four times, and why, and many of it was details of how things were labeled and more back-end, you know, technological challenges versus actual content or topics or naming of things. I looked at the podcast I've been listening to and had some feedback from those who are listening to mine, and perhaps it would be more beneficial to talk about practical measures, you know, how you can implement concepts of this osteopathic life and a number of podcasts I listen to have numbered lists, and I can roll with that. I like numbers and task lists and directives. However, in osteopathy, I've continued to weave the thread that it's about creativity and nuance and your perception and your experience and using the information you have to create the best path to health. And that doesn't always come in an algorithmic or cookbook-like format. However, I think striking a balance is important. And just like talking with my son about strategies to effectively complete his work at the level of quality he seeks for himself and offers back to his teacher in respect for her efforts in instructing the class, sometimes you need a more structured plan. So I'm going to give that a go here today and take this concept and look at what it means to be a complementary, with two E's, unit of body, mind, and spirit. And looking at my son's example and body, mind, spirit balance, you know, the physical, he wants to be outside and play sports and run around and enjoy the beautiful weather we're experiencing here. So that's a piece of the puzzle. For mind, you know, he spends a lot of time in school looking at the volume of hours in the day, how much time is spent at school and how much is still remaining to be dedicated to this after hours work. And spirit, socialization, rest, restoration, engagement in community, all important. And how do we juggle all of that? How do we keep all three of those proverbial balls in the air? And I alluded to this, I think, back in an early episode about the use of a pie chart. And during a period of time when I was keeping the Book of Joy daily journal, there was an interval when I would make a pie chart at the bottom of each day and divide it 
into three parts, not always equal, generally assessing for how much time I perceived that I invested in that day in body, mind, and spirit. And in so doing, I considered the three of them to make up the whole of me. And reflecting on the day, I would try to decide which portion of that pie chart went to body, which went to mind, and which went to spirit, and reflected over the course of the week on the evenness, the balance of distribution, and try to tailor that. So if it seemed that that spirit slice was getting ever smaller, the next day I could invest more time, wake up early and practice what I knew to be meditation, some gentle breathing or journaling or writing or the things that felt restorative to me in that way. Or, you know, if I wanted to invest more in mind, I might carve out more time for reading or discussion or research. Um, And for body, that one historically has always been my go-to, you know, and would take up a majority of the pie chart with, you know, walking for transport, workouts. But during a time of injury, it naturally shifted to less. But I also began to reframe what could be an investment in the health of my body, which might be things more like rest and stretching and thinking about nutrition more than just always the physical exertion associated with exercise. And so that's going to be my first recommendation to you is to, for the next week and maybe month, you know, just keep a very simple pie chart at the end of the day. This is clearly subjective. You could use some objective measures. Those of us who have smartphones that track our movement. Some of us have watches that tell us how much sleep we're getting. Um, And like anything, once you start to examine it, you'll become more aware and you'll probably start naturally making changes. You know, it's like when you write down what food you ate in the day, you automatically become more conscious of what you eat and what you're willing to eat because you're going to see it written back at you. So try the pie chart experiment and very simply end of the day, think body, mind, and spirit and how much of your day, of your energy did you invest in each of those and try to just be honest about it for the first few days. Like anything, don't change much of what you're doing. Just see where your natural tendencies lie and then in the next week, perhaps try to shift it little bits. And what I like about this too is it draws awareness to what you qualify and categorize in each of those And perhaps there can be some overlap, or perhaps you could reframe how you consider things, and with setting that different intention, something that might have only served the body can become a source of mindfulness and healing there. So I challenge you to the pie chart, ideally for a month, but at least for a week, and see how you get. We think about that concept of unity and in most ways, it's that triune, the three parts. I'd like us to think and extend that beyond the boundaries of ourself as well. And where in our community are we seeing resources or detractors that help support the health of our body, mind, and spirit? And this can certainly still relate to the pie chart, but I think it's an important expansion of the concept to see where physically we relate in our community, where there are opportunities that we might not have viewed as a possibility before that can be restorative. And I'll give you an example that was quintessential Ashland, the town in Southern Oregon to which we have returned these last couple months. 
And First Friday is known as an art walk through downtown where the stores stay open. They have art on display. There are appetizers and drinks. And particularly at this time of year, again, harnessing that energy of May, there's just this vibrancy and energy and enthusiasm about town. And on this most recent First Friday of May, we wandered into town and had some food and experienced a marimba band collective group playing. And then what might be my most favorite event in Ashland, and these may exist where you live as well, is the silent disco. And a silent disco is just as it sounds, but nothing you might ever have imagined. There are three DJs and they rent headphones and you can tune in to any of these three channels one of which includes turntables for kids to participate. And it's kind of a quiet dance party. And it takes place in the front of Lithia Park, which is the central green space in town. And people dance and run around. And the brilliant thing is, especially for if you're like me and you don't really like loud music, you can choose the volume and you can still talk to people because the only music that's happening is in the headphones. And if you want to speak to someone, you turn down your volume or take off your headphones and you can speak to them. And it's not obtrusive it's, and it's not invasive for the community. You don't have to avoid the area if you're not seeking noise. Um, and I am admittedly not much of a dancer, uh, volume or quality wise, but at Silent Disco, it's no holds barred. It's just fun you know and you dance and it's kind of a total no judgment zone and as the sun sets and it becomes darker you know glow in the dark hula hoops come out and glow sticks and it's just a brilliant way to socialize on your terms you know you can dance with people if you want you can dance on your own you can talk you can not talk um and I so appreciate it and I went with my middle son and my friends, and for hours we were just out there in community. And as I thought about it, you know, I hit all realms of the pie chart on there. It was definitely spiritually rejuvenating. Physically, we were dancing for hours. You know, the next day we thought, well, our legs are sore in the best way that legs can be sore, that you've used them for something meaningful and enjoyable. And mentally even, it was fun to hear the beats and, you know, tune into them and find rhythms and recognize songs that you know in these layered um, DJ collections. So I really appreciated that and recommend that perhaps you look outside the box for ways in your community that you can serve body, mind, or spirit and maybe challenge yourself to try something that you have been considering but haven't done. It's always more fun on the buddy system, so calling up my friend to join me and having my son encourage me at the Silent Disco were great catalysts for me. But maybe it's coaching a team or taking a class or going to a poetry reading or a bookstore when a local author is sharing his or her work. Uh, maybe it's simple as hosting a potluck and thinking about how you're restoring your body through the nourishment and your spirit through the collective and your mind through the planning and coordination. So let's challenge ourselves to look broadly at our community and what resources exist. And if there's something that's not there, maybe you create it. 
I really enjoyed the storytelling experience I had back in Michigan, and so I'm looking at ways we can craft that here in Southern Oregon and bring that social and again mentally restoring and spiritually engaging experience to this community. So that's number two. Number one was the pie chart, looking at distribution of body, mind, and spirit. Number two is expanding that concept outside yourself and looking to the community for creative ways that you can be restorative in those three. And the third is looking at how you can encourage each of those three to serve the other. And what that means is how are you engaging physically that can support you mentally, that can support you spiritually. And if you can get all three, fabulous. If you can get two at a time, that's great. And looking at who is giving and receiving, you know, sometimes the body has to make a sacrifice so we can support the mental and vice versa. But one avenue in this is to think about how the control of our thoughts can impact how we feel both physically and spiritually. And that's the angle I'm going to take in making the recommendation here. But I hope you'll get creative and look at multiple ways you can engage and interact and interchange between these three to best serve your overall health. And thinking about some of the life coaching podcasts I've listened to and the idea that we are 100% in charge of our thoughts, feelings, and actions. And what we can do to control that internal dialogue and what we're framing, what we're telling ourselves, how we're telling ourselves, when we're telling ourselves, what are we capable of, you know, what do we see? Are we seeing opportunity? Are we seeing obstructions and challenges? And how we turn that into a feeling. We think of feelings emotionally, you know, does this thought make us feel happy or sad or motivated or depressed or de-energized? But also, how does it make us feel physically as far as pain? You know, I work in a specialty where most of the reasons people come in the door are pain-related. And this isn't to suggest that pain doesn't have physical sources as well. But there is more often than not, and I would say almost ubiquitously, a mental component. You know, we identify with pain. We can think ourselves into and out of pain. And there have been studies shown, you know, with elite athletes that they've learned to kind of override the system and talk themselves out of pain, sometimes in a detrimental way. You know, if you ignore pain that's there for a purpose, you have a cut on your foot and you keep running anyway, and then it could lead to an infection and hazardous things. So... It's not always a positive thing to talk ourselves out of pain, but it is possible. So how do we gain control of and capitalize on those resources we have within to have a higher level of executive function and control over ourselves and decide, you know, with what feeling are we identifying, on what feeling are we acting, and how are we being good stewards of that control center mentally and how it can filter out and affect our spiritual and physical well-being. So I would challenge you to look at that relationship and perhaps on the bottom of that pie chart, either set an intention for the day or reflect on what 
thought was the main driver of your day? Was it, my life is so busy? Can it be, my life is so wonderfully full? Was it, I'm so stressed out? And can you switch it to, I have so much on my plate, I need to reprioritize. Here's how I'm going to do that. And I'm not suggesting that we're not allowed to have bad days. All feelings are welcome. All are encouraged because certainly we don't want to live in a blunted world where we just get to feel happy and satisfied. We want to welcome that full range of human emotion. Recognize, though, that we do have the ability to control which ones we bring to the forefront, which ones we encourage, which ones we foster and cultivate, and how we act on them. And it's important to be able to feel anger. That can be the best motivation we might ever have. It's important to be able to feel sad and cultivate empathy for ourselves and for others in our community. But how are we allowing that to drive the force of our daily life? And so that would be my third recommendation is look at how you can engage with body, mind, or spirit to help support one or both of the others. So that's the triune of recommendations for this triune of unity of body, mind, and spirit. Pie chart, tracking, the amount of time given in distribution to each of those, body, mind, spirit, on the daily and reflecting over the course of the week or the month. Expanding the concept beyond yourself to look at how you might restore, rejuvenate, support body, mind, and spirit within your community in ways you might not have expected or ways you might have been considering but have paused on. And I challenge you to just take a bit of a leap and go there. And then third, to look at how they can work with and for and support each other and how mentally you can support the physical and the spiritual and vice versa and in all combinations. So circling back to my oldest and his homework struggles, I'm going to keep encouraging him and perhaps utilize this model. Have him write out his priorities and look at the pie chart and see where he's spending most of his time and where some might be able to be given to the homework or maybe creatively looking at where they can be supportive if he is a social creature and if it's productive for him creating a homework club so he can still feel like he's being with his friends but they're working together and helping each other you know stay motivated and engaged and complete their work together and looking at creative ways again through school or through a mentor who's done this before and done it well, perhaps he'll find the motivation he needs. So I'm going to present to him these ideas, continue to be supportive, and hope he'll find the internal motivation he needs to be successful on the path to his best health as a student. So that's my wrap for today. We are on iTunes, so if you've been following thus far on SoundCloud or through the website at thisosteopathiclife.com, Thank you. If you find the iTunes app to be helpful, you can find This Osteopathic Life there. You can subscribe. You can rate and review. And I'm going to continue on the path, try to stick to my deadlines. I'll admit there's a portion of me that thinks I could record a bonus episode and make up for the missed week, and maybe I will, or maybe I won't. And I'm going to give myself grace with either of those and continue to examine for myself how the balance of body, mind, and spirit is taking place, how it can be ever better balanced and how I can find my own best health through the experience. This is Dr. Amelia Beeky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.